Hi, everybody. Good morning. Mike, thank you for that great word. I hope you're encouraged this morning, excited. When I was uh, in the military a long time ago now, I guess, um, we, I lived through the change from, we used to have these black leather boots, and we got tan suede boots. So, um, by the way, David, oh, we'll do announcements in a minute. We'll do communion later. Kids, stay where you are. We're fine. Just so you know. Uh, when I was in the military years ago, we, I lived through the transition from black leather boots to the tan suede boots that we see nowadays on the uniforms, which was a big change for us because every night you used to have to shine your boots. And the shining your boots wasn't just to look good or to be nice. The shining the boots was really important because the wax in the polish would waterproof your boots. So if you didn't take care of them, then your feet got wet and there were all kinds of problems. Um, I remember the longest I ever went without taking off my boots, I think it was four days, without taking them off. And so, yeah, it gets, it gets bad. Sometimes you just you keep going. You never stop. And so you got to make sure they're waterproofed. It's really important. Um, what happened then when we changed to this, the tan suede boots was you didn't have to polish them anymore because they're suede. It's different. And so the suede boots were like maintenance-free, and everybody was all excited about that because it took a long time to polish the boots all the time. Well, what happened over time is as you wear those boots, you get stains on them because you don't polish them anymore, and they start to show. And it was really funny how as you progress and time passes, you could tell people who were brand new and who had never walked through anything and people who had walked through a lot. And the boots became a marker of your character, of who you were and what you'd done. It wasn't just the patches anymore. It wasn't just the medals or the ribbons or whatever. You knew whether somebody had been through something or whether they hadn't. And so it looked really funny when, like, a, a really high-ranking person who you know had gone through lots of things, like a sergeant major who had 30 years in the Army, would show up in a brand-new pair of boots just because it was his old ones were broken, he had to throw them away. <laughs> it would look really funny because you're like, man, this doesn't match. God has called us, and we just heard it through Mike's word, to walk through things with him and our boots are going to get stained. Sometimes I used to think when I was a kid about coming before the Lord and that he would give us his armor, like the armor of God from Ephesians 6, and how it would be glinty and beautiful and shiny. And I realized over time that it's not the shininess that God takes pleasure in. It's the scuffs. It's the brokenness of it. Not in us being a broken people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is us being a victorious people with Christ because he's given us his armor. He has equipped us with himself that as we walk th through things in life, it's his spirit that leads us. It's his power that brings us through. And then we stand there with stained boots, but we say, Lord, you made me go through it. And the testimony is the scuffs. It is the stuff because we say, Lord, you have accomplished a great work. And I'm not talking about sin now. Don't understand. He washes us clean from sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about trials and things, and like Mike brought to us, fear sometimes that we walk through with, of people and of things and whatever to be able to proclaim the excellencies of our God who has saved us and all that he has done for us. Isn't that great? That's exciting, isn't it? This morning we're going to talk about what it means to be a priest for Jesus, what it means to be a priest for Jesus Christ. This is what 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise God. Isn't his word beautiful? He has given us his mercy. He's made us the priesthood. What does it mean, though? Sometimes we think about what is our job? What does it mean to get on with godly work? I know, just a minute. What does it mean to get on with godly work? Uh, sometimes we think of just getting through life and going to heaven as something like this cosmic golf course that we're going to get to someday. It's, not, it's a nice course, but I keep losing the ball through the clouds. We think that's what life is going to be like, and that's what God's called us to, and the mission of life is really just to have this leisure, and someday we'll float amongst the clouds 
and it's going to be beautiful and okay. But God's called us to proclaim his excellencies as his priests. You know, that has a lot of meaning. And quite honestly, that has tons of textbook to it. That's a huge topic, but we're going to kind of break it down a little bit today. I want to show a quick video to you uh, that you will enjoy, and children, you can watch with us, and then we're going to go to class, okay? So after we watch the video, then kids will stand up and pray, and then we go to class. But you will like this video. All right, Roy, can you play the video for us? Hakuna Matata. It means no worries. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no peasant craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem free. What's a motto? Nothing. What's a motto with you? <laughs> you know, it, these two words will solve all your problems. That's right. Take Pumba, for example. Why, when he was a young warthog. When I was a young warthog. Very nice. Thanks. He found his aroma like a certain appeal. He could clear the savannah after every meal. I'm a sensitive soul, though I seem thick-skinned. And it hurt that my friends never stood downwind. And oh, the shame! He was a shame! What a change in my name! Oh, what's in a name? And I got downhearted! Every time that I... Hey, Pumpa, not in front of the kids. Oh, sorry. Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata, ain't no passing craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. Yeah, say it, kid. It's our problem free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Welcome to our humble home. You live here? Wherever we want. Yep, home is where your room rests. It's beautiful. Uh, I'm starved. I'm so hungry I could eat a whole zebra. Ah, we're fresh out of zebra. Any antelope? Nah. -uh. Hippo? Nope. Listen, kid, if you live with us, you have to eat like us. Hey, this looks like a good spot to rustle up some grub. Ew, what's that? A grub. What's it look like? Ew, gross. Mm. Tastes like chicken. Slimy yet satisfying. These are rare delicacies. Mm. Mm. Pecans with a very pleasant crunch. You learn to love them. I'm telling you, Kim, this is the great life. No rules, no responsibilities. Ooh, the little cream filled kind. And best of all, no worries. Well, kid. Oh, well, Hakuna Matata. That's it. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem free. Christianity is not a problem-free philosophy. It does not mean no worries for the rest of your day. It does mean righteousness, peace, and joy. You know, we are um, so blessed to know Jesus. And kids, I want to tell you that God has made you and formed you and specially called you to be in his service to do great things for him.
And some of those things might be hard things. Some of those things might be really big things. But do you know what? God loved you so much that he sent his own son to die for you that you might know peace with God. It's so important to him that he could call you to himself that he did not spare his own son but delivered him up for you. That means that even though life is hard sometimes and even if God has called you to big things, according to his word like Uncle Mike read to us today, we know that he will never leave us or forsake us according to his word and that if he gave us Jesus, his own son, he'll give us everything we need. It doesn't mean then easy life though. It means the power, it means the perseverance, it means the protection, it means the patience, it means all of God's fruit that he has, his character put into us, that we can accomplish everything that we need to accomplish for God. That's a big task. That's an important thing because you're important. And I want you to know today that these fun Disney movies are super fun and that's a great song and you can sing it on the way home because it's a fun song. But I want you to know that what God has called you to is kingdom service, to do something great for him. And he will show you what that is, and he will lead you in paths of righteousness to accomplish it. Amen? All right. Can you stand up real quick, kiddos? I'm going to pray for you. Oh, before we do that, I'm sorry. Sorry, we've got a lot of things. We've been collecting money and spare change to give to uh, our friends at Loaves and Fishes. Kids, you've done a great job helping to get all the coins. Look at all the money we have back there. We got a bunch. We have over 100 canned goods and things that we've collected, which is not represented on the table because that's heavy to carry, and the coins themselves are heavy. There's a bunch of money in there, isn't there? Yeah. And we're going to make sure that some people who have trouble buying some stuff for Thanksgiving have meals for Thanksgiving. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's great. We're going to pray over that right now before you go to class. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for all this money that you've given us, Lord, that we can be a blessing to people around us. And Lord, I thank you for the kids who helped to gather that money and donate it to us, that we can be a blessing. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would protect all those families to whom this money goes to to give, food, to give them food for Thanksgiving. Lord, I pray that you would give them peace, that you would reveal yourself to them, and that, Father, they would know your security over this Thanksgiving time. And, Father, for every kid who's here, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would know you, walk with you all their days, and, Father, that according to your word, they would know your equipping for all the good things that you've called them to. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, kids, go have a great class. We'll see you soon. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor. We love Jesus, and we love people here at New Covenant Church. Let's take just a moment while the kids are going out to say hello to your neighbor. Shake their hand and say, we love Jesus. Will you turn with me in your Bible, please, to Leviticus chapter 10? Leviticus chapter 10. A lot, usually, generally speaking, in the morning, on a Sunday morning when we're doing our worship together, we have uh, our time of praise, and we love to hear from each other and pray together in those things and contribute together to the betterment of everybody so that we can build each other up. Then we often do communion and then announcements and tithes and offerings, and the kids go to their class, and then we have a sermon. I know we're a little bit different today. Here's why we're being different today. Okay. Here's why we're being different today. We're being different today because Mike brought us a great word. We didn't uh, plan that ahead of time. I think the Lord gave it to him, and we are, uh, anytime anybody brings us a word, and we always come to the Bible and examine it and look at it. Now, the word that Mike brought us was from the Bible, and then he helped explain it, as God talking to us. Does that make sense? Mike's not claiming to be God, that he's speaking to us, but he's saying, I heard this, I know it's from the Lord, and I'm now prophetically speaking this to the people to build you up and to come to his word and to come to Christ and to know what he's saying. Um, it just so happens to correspond with what we're going to talk about today. And there's sort of a challenge sometimes in responding to a word like that. When God says, get on the mission, do the mission, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Step forward. Trust me. Sometimes we say, yes, Lord. And then the very first question we have is, what exactly is the mission? I'll do whatever you say. What is it that you want me to do? And a lot of times, the reason we played that Hakuna Matata song is because a lot of times Christianity is blended with this idea of just sort of having a good life. That if you come to Christ, you will know provision. 
you will know financial success, you're gonna know emotional peace, you're gonna have joy suddenly spring up in your life. Now, some of those things are true, you know, the Lord protects us and cares for us, but also there's hard times, and there's a, the reality of bad things that happen. And the gospel is not just, we're all gonna get wealthy, or we're all just gonna have wonderful days with no problems, uh, suddenly you're gonna be the most liked, most popular person in your high school, it, that doesn't happen. And so we can get upset because we think that's what it should be because the world tells us a lot. Oh, that's what Christianity believes. It's really just this hakuna matata kind of philosophy. Unfortunately, from the Bible, it's not true. And a lot of times we use that as an evangelistic tool, don't we? Where we say, if you just know God, you'll know all these benefits of peace for the first time in your life. I remember listening to a guy who had a, a large audience there were about a thousand people in the room, and he had the opportunity to talk about Jesus. And the big thing that he said was, and it wasn't wrong, it's not, I'm not getting on this guy, please understand me. But he said, if you receive Christ tonight and you submit your life to him, you confess your sins to Jesus, and you believe in your heart that he died for you, and that he rose again, and that his resurrection, his death, was enough to cover your sins, that he has paid the penalty for you. When you go home and lay your head on the pillow tonight, you will know peace for the first time. That was, that was the, the sales point, if you will. We're not selling the gospel, please understand. But that was the, like, the big, that was what everything led to. And you know what? It is, it's true. It is true. You will know peace. There is no peace like the peace you get from, from the Lord. And being at peace with God, the Bible does describe us as being at war with him in sin and his enemies. Guess what? Defeated enemies. Enemies who are subject to condemnation. Enemies who have one destiny, which is destruction. Or those who are in Christ, who are given his victory, who are given his righteousness, who are given his peace, who are given his joy, who suddenly come alive in Jesus Christ and be made new creations in him. And your life is different. It is peaceful. It is changed. That's true. But at the same time, we also have so much more to talk about in the gospel. Because as we come to Jesus Christ, we're coming to the God who created us. And sometimes we forget about all of the excellencies. That's the word that Peter used in that verse that we read. The excellencies of God and how he's so magnanimous. He's so perfect. His judgments are perfect. Every word, think about this. Every word, that's the best ringtone yet. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's okay. I really did like that Superman one. My dad has... No, I'm not going to... Okay. So, uh, you know how sometimes people don't know how to turn down the volume on the ringer? That's all I'll say about my dad. Uh, <laughs> it's, so, it's so loud. Okay, moving on. What were we talking about? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Uh, but as we think about what God's done, the excellences of all that he's done for us, it's not just the things that he's done. Imagine for a moment, this is truth from the Bible, and we heard it even in one of the prayers as a response, that whatever the Lord says will not return to him void. Think, think about this. Everything he utters, and by his very spoken word, out of nothing, he created all of life. He just said it, and it was. So every spoken word that God says must come true, must come true. He's that powerful. I had a discussion the other night. We have a little Bible book that we read to the kids, and one of the pages has this, like, big, it's two pages together, picture of Goliath to show how tall Goliath is, and then David's little tiny, you know, and that kind of thing. And so David's fighting Goliath, and so my son Jonah has sort of fixated on, you know, God has two enemies, Satan and Goliath. As he talks, so he'll ask me things. He'll be like, what would Goliath say about this? And we, we don't trust Goliath, you know. So we're working on that. Anyway, we were talking the other night, and he said, um, he said, you know, there's that guy, Satan guy, and there's Goliath, and then God is so powerful, it's like 10,000 Power Rangers, you know. And it, he, they, can't even, they can't even fight him. And I was like, that's right, buddy. And I said, you need to understand Goliath is defeated. The Lord used a pebble, a pebble, to kill the greatest warrior in history up to that point because he's so powerful. And the Lord, all he has to do is just say, quiet, and that's it because he's so powerful. That's how powerful God. You know, God is not in a cosmic struggle with the devil. 
He's not. The devil's defeated. The devil has always been defeated for God. The only thing that the devil held was he had authority here over us. He's never had authority over God. And so when Jesus came, he didn't come so that he could finally defeat the devil. He came to seek and save the lost, to save us from sin, because he loves us like lost lambs. He wasn't in this cosmic wrestling match. The devil has nothing on God. He's, he has no power. He can't do anything. Because just with a word, the Lord can create the world. And think about the things that we utter sometimes. Man, if everything we said came true, wow, that would be scary. God is so big. Christianity is not hakuna matata. Christianity is knowing God. It's proclaiming his excellencies. And once you're a Christian, it means a lot of hard work, which is what Mike brought us today. It means actually doing something for him, but empowered by him and seeing the fruits of our labors come true. How cool is that? That's a wonderful thing. I want to talk to you today about what a priest actually does. We're going to look at Leviticus 10. This is a, um, a big story that happens in the book of Leviticus. Up to this point in the Bible, the Israelites have been in slavery in Egypt. God has made promises to their ancestors. And he said, out of your descendants, I'll make a people. They'll be my people, and I will be their God, and I will uh, use them to demonstrate to the world what I want people to look like. Because God made everybody. So the Israelites were like a giant beacon of righteousness that people could come to, to know God. And so the people of Israel have been enslaved, and they've been enslaved in Egypt now for 400 years, and God has heard their groanings. Now, when I say groanings, all of the baby boys in Egypt have been slaughtered to try to control their population. So this is not, it's not like, oh, slavery. Slavery is bad, don't get me wrong. But it's not just labor. Sometimes we minimize the gospel to say God releases you from labor. You're not like a slave to your employer anymore. That is not true. That's not what the Bible is talking about. God is saving them from slavery because slavery is wrong. But more than that, too, their children are being killed. So this is not, when the groanings come up to God, it's not just, oh, everything's fine. You know, we'd really like a new job change. That's ridiculous. It is God saving them from an oppressive people to make them his own nation and to bring them out of that situation. It's a huge story. It's massive. It's bloody. There's a lot going on. And it's a precursor to show us what is God's salvation like with Christ when he comes. So the people of Israel have been uh, released from slavery. All the plagues happen, all those things. They've come out into the wilderness. The first place they come to is Sinai. At Mount Sinai, they learn all this stuff from God. And they get a new set of laws. Remember, 400 years they've lived in Egypt, so they're basically Egyptian at this point. And God says, I want you to be my people. This is what it looks like. And so they receive instructions on the sacrificial system, on who's in charge, on how they're going to be organized, on all kind of laws for things of how to live. Because the way they live is different than every nation around the earth. And God has made it that way. And so in Leviticus, in particular in this book, we get a recollection of all the laws. We're also going to get a story in Leviticus 10 of some of the very first priests, the high priests in particular, who do things wrong. And so this is a challenging story. But it will help us, and in particular it will help us because this is really the only time that God speaks directly to the priests. Usually he speaks to Moses, who's his representative and who's leading the people, and then Moses kind of tells them stuff. Uh, and, and God shows up, if you will, in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, so they see his presence. It's kind of terrifying for the people. But in this particular case, God is going to speak directly to Aaron, who is the high priest. And so it's a very significant moment that we're going to get to. But the context is also important. So let's start reading together in Leviticus chapter 10 at verse 1. Uh, Aaron is the high priest. He has two sons named Adab and, and Abihu and a couple other sons. So here's what happens. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The fire came out from before the Lord, and it consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So what's happened here is they've come into the presence of God as priests, as the sons of the high priest, and they've done things that are unauthorized. Some of the other verses before this will give us the impression that they may have uh, also been a little tipsy with drink. 
So they're not making good judgment calls here. They walk before the Lord. They make this fire. God's anger comes out and consumes them with fire, and they die. That's horrible, right? Um, God is not to be trifled with. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near and carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary out of the camp. So they came near and carried them on their coats out of the camp, as Moses has said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die. Do not, uh, and wrath might come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing of the oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Now what's happening here? Aaron has four sons, two of whom have just been consumed with fire before the Lord. Aaron's uncle is called, and he brings his, the nephews basically come to get the bodies and take them away. This is pretty rough, huh? Take them away. And Moses looks at Aaron and says, do not mourn. None of you. Why? That's a, that's a hard challenge, right? Don't let the hair hang loose. In other words, don't, you know, freak out. Don't tear your clothes. Don't mourn. The rest of the people will mourn because this is a tragedy, if you will. But why can't Aaron mourn? Because they broke the Because God's glory is more important than Aaron's mourning. And they did something against God. God kindled a fire against them. And Aaron now is the high priest, and his sons, who are going to be high priests with him eventually, will stand at service to God, which is more important, ready, than their brothers. That's rough. That's rough. But it's serious. It's very serious. Man, that's... Could you imagine being there? Could you imagine carrying your cousin on your coat outside the camp? because they went against God. I mean, this is, I say this with, you can feel the mourning in it. You can feel the terror in it. You can feel the respect in it. And this is why I've wanted to play Hakuna Matata. Super fun. Okay, we know Christianity is not that way, a lot of us. But that compared to what God's like, the excellencies of his kingdom, his kingdom is so excellent. It looks perfect. You don't trifle with this God. And sometimes we lose that idea of the holiness of God, that he's different than us. He's bigger than us. He's better than us. He's our creator. And we want to just come so casually and, oh, Lord, just make it better. I pray for my friend. Make their life better. But God, he's God. And so we can't lose. You know what? He wants us to come before him. He loves us. He brings us in. He, through his son, brought us to himself. So he wants us to come to him. I'm not saying don't pray. Pray all the time without ceasing. But pray also with an understanding of how powerful he is, how majestic he is, how holy he is, how separate he is. And in that separateness, he also calls us in. What a miracle! Because the people, the Israelites who saw Jesus, imagine for a moment, right? They saw Jesus die on the cross. They witnessed him raised from the dead. And what did he say to his disciples? Stay here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses everywhere. And so there, man, this has been a roller coaster of emotions. You've seen all this stuff, and you've witnessed God. And even still, some are 99% sure that he's God, and they're just going because they are trusting and they don't know. And that's what faith sometimes looks like, doesn't it? Where you just say, Lord, I trust you with my whole heart and I just trust you. And now they're in an upper room. And all those thousands of people that Jesus was feeding, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, all these thousands of people that were flocking to him to try to have the sick healed and all these kind of things, Jesus was so gracious to them, but they're down to 120 people in a room. That's all that's left 
who actually believe in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes on them in Acts chapter 2. And instead of the fire coming out from unauthorized fire that consumes the priests, instead of that, fire rests on each of their head, which is what all the Israelites witnessed when God's presence was with them in the wilderness. He was leading them in a pillar of fire. And then when they built the tabernacle, right before this happens with Nadab and Abihu, the presence of God comes down to reveal how he is with the people. And it looks like a pillar of fire on top of the temple. Because now in Acts chapter 2, God has filled a new temple. Not a building anymore, but a people who are filled with his spirit. And he's demonstrated that not by consuming them with fire, but by resting upon them to show my presence is with you. That's incredible when you understand what's happening. That's you. Even if you've never seen the fire. We don't need to replicate that event because God has filled his church with his spirit to show that his presence is with us. So when we pray out and say, or Mike says in the word, I will never leave you or forsake you, we can know with understanding, I know what that means. He's filled us to be his temple and to walk with him and that he will never leave us or forsake us. Ready? Even if we fail. Because it's not, not common that fire comes out somewhere and consumes people. Why not? Because the blood of Jesus has covered us even when we are imperfect. But he's still the same God. And so we come to him very flippantly. Oh, Lord, why don't you fill me more? Oh, I don't feel it today. He says, whoa, calm down. Calm down. Because remember what happened to Nadab, Nadab and Abihu. This is a big deal. Okay, let's go on in the story. Verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron. So this is the only time we're going to see that the Lord himself speaks directly to the high priest. This is a big deal. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you and your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. So likely the sons were drinking something and were foolish. Now, notice he doesn't say oh, for your whole life. He says, when you come into the presence to do things, don't drink these things. So be clear, be sober, remember who I am, in other words. Don't just casually come to me like you're coming to a, a gathering of a bunch of friends. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Verse 10, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the, food of the Lord's food offering and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due for you and your sons from the Lord's food offering, for so I am commanded." But the best grain that is waved, and then he goes on about all this, these kind of things that are happening. So immediately they have to go eat. That's interesting. So the Lord spoke, speaks to Aaron. What does he tell him? Distinguish between the holy and the unholy. Teach the people. And respect God, basically. Is what he tells him. Uh, there's going to be some other things that will come out of that that we're going to look at. What does a priest do from Leviticus chapter 10? Hugely significant text because this is the Lord actually speaking to the priest. And it's significant for you because Peter says in 1 Peter that we read before, you are a royal priesthood. So every one of us, me, you, your ch believing children, anybody who believes in the name of Jesus is now a priest before God. And so we're not in these same regulations, if you will. It's, a, it's different because we're in Christ and this is before Christ came. And at the same time, we can take a lesson to say, if we are a royal priesthood, what did Peter mean when he said that? What does he want us to actually do? Well, you know, that's great. Oh, priesthood. Oh, okay. All right. That's cool. Get some robes. You know, but that's not what he's talking about. And his reference for talking about that is, is Leviticus 10. Is that these are the things you should do. So what does a priest actually do? There are four things. Specifically, a priest's job is to lead people to God. So when the Lord says to Aaron and his sons, go and eat the grain offering, 
Understand, this was an offering that was brought to whom? To God. So they come, the people come through the priesthood to be able to come to the Lord, to understand his ways, to make sure they're right with him, uh, if there's sin and they're bringing a sin offering, whatever it is. But they come to God, they bring their offering to God. And then the Lord says, take a portion of that and eat it. Why would a priest eat it? Their own sustenance, yes, because they were forbidden from, you know, running other commerce things, basically. They could have little side jobs and stuff, but they, they didn't have big land ownership like the other tribes of Israel. So they need it for their sustenance, yes. But also, how do you know if God receives your offering? Because the priest eats it. And he says, I'm standing in the place of God for you. And I'm going to eat this offering. Have you ever been to a place where you get a meal uh, that's not a meal that you want? You know what I'm talking about? You go to a place and somebody's showing you hospitality and they give you food that's a little weird. And you're like, what are we eating right now? I was in Guatemala one time and I was uh, super duper sick. And I went to a pastor's house and it was such a blessing to be able to sit with them and see them. And uh, as we walked in the house, they had a room, like a closet, and there was a turkey in there, a live turkey gobbling away at us and talking. And so we came in to eat, and there's chickens and stuff, and it's a really rural, kind of poor area of Guatemala. And the wife had uh, made a really fabulous meal for us. It was delicious. It was really nice. And she set it before me, and on my plate was like rice kind of stuff and some beans and the neck of a chicken which was the most, that's the delicacy. They were trying to show me honor. And I looked at it like, do you have a KFC around? <laughs> you know, like, is, there, is there something else? Thank you for this. Is there, and, they're, and they're watching me. You know, have you ever eaten the neck of a chicken? It's bony. It's, you know, it's funny, right, the way you eat it. It's great for soup. Great for soup. If it's the main piece of chicken on your plate, it's with beak looking at you. Thankfully, you didn't have to eat the head, but there it is. And I'm looking at this like, oh, Jesus, help me. And I was super ill, super ill. As soon as I got off the plane in Guatemala, I was ill to the point where I was, I mean, I was super duper, duper, duper ill. And so I'm looking at this meal, and the smell hit me, and I said, Lord, by your spirit, I have to eat this. Because I couldn't, for five, five days, I couldn't eat anything. I said, Lord, I need to eat this. And the Lord gave me power. I don't know. Miraculously, I ate that meal. And I'm saying miraculously. It was delicious. Miraculously, because I, was, I couldn't keep anything down. I was so sick. So sick. And the Lord just was like, I got gotcha. you. It was amazing. Now imagine you're the priest. Here comes this offering. It's supposed to be the best. It's supposed to be the best. Who knows what's put before you? And you're going to have to take the place of God to say the Lord receives your offering and I'm going to consume it so he doesn't consume you or me. The Lord receives you. Then you don't just take that and just take from the people. You're also required to do other things. You intercede for them. You stand between them. Interceding means standing between. So when you're taking those things, understand if somebody comes before you in a spiritual sense now and says, this offering is for sin that I committed. It's the worst thing you've ever heard of. You know, my first ever uh, pastoral meeting with somebody as a pastor, first ever, I sat down from a guy and uh, I said, hey, good to meet you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. And uh, he said, hey, just so you know, I committed a crime and I probably should go to prison. I, and it was horrific. And I was like, excuse me? He said, yeah, I just... Some people know, you don't know, uh, we're going to have to walk this out. But he's still in prison today. It was, it was I, I was stunned. I didn't know what to say. There's a spiritual element where now here comes somebody's worst stuff, and you are slaughtering an animal for them. You're killing an animal. The blood is all over the place. you got to eat part of it. It's cooked. But, man, the... There's a weight to this. This is why in Hebrews, we have one greater high priest now who has made an offering that is greater than any offering. Jesus, who himself came, and he died for us. This is why when we come to the communion table, it is so miraculous for us 
Because now as a royal priesthood, you don't have to eat the charred remains of some sin offering that was given for you and have to remember the junk that went into this and how God is, is redeeming this person and the blood that's everywhere. Can you imagine? It would be horrible. Instead, now we come to the communion table and Jesus said, this is my body broken for you and it tastes sweet. And instead of the cup of wrath poured out, we get to drink from the cup of blessing, knowing that Jesus, the great high priest, he died for us. He offered himself. He took the offering. He was the one that delivered us up. He interceded for us that we would come before God. He made it right for us through his death and through his resurrection. And now we get to reap the spoils of his victory remembering that there'll be another day that will come with another table when he returns and we say, thank you, Lord, you have the victory. But we get the first fruits of it now. But as priests understand, this meal is so much better than that meal. This meal is so much more lighthearted and joyous and celebratory. But it's also why we say, examine yourself now before you come to this table. Because Jesus died for you. So don't come to his offering with stains all over yourself because of sin that you have not dealt with by God, lest he consume you. And the Lord was in Corinthians, in the church in Corinth, killing people because they were coming to this meal wrongly. That's why, do you, you know, um, this is a secret, not a secret. Jerry, David, and I stand at the table to stop people sometimes from coming to the table so that they don't walk into judgment. We're not just serving you. We serve you. We love you. Greet you. But also, if we know, and we've told you, and if you, you would know, okay? Everybody who's right now like, oh, should I go? You're fine. We'll tell you ahead of time. I'm talking about sin things where it's, it's clear. This is clear you're sinning. We're trying to save your life. That you don't just walk into judgment. Because we know this God. He burned up Nadab and Abihu in a heartbeat. Because they came to him in an unworthy way. Now here's the miraculous truth. You who are in Christ are worthy not because of you, but because of him. Not because of you. Not because of your work. Not because you're pure enough. Not because you're good enough. But because his work was pure enough. Because his work was good enough. Because his death covered over our sins. And he is faithful and just when we, when we ask him. We say, Lord, I, I cleanse me from this unrighteousness. Forgive me. I confess my sin to you. And First John tells us he actually washes us clean. How incredible is that? Ready? Without the blood of bulls and goats, because his blood was better. What a great God we serve. We're supposed to teach the people. We teach them. What do we teach them? We teach them the word of God. This is what the Bible says. These are the excellencies of him who called us. And we're supposed to distinguish between the holy and the unholy. Let's look at a few of these just a little bit more in depth in the last few minutes that we have, because I'm going to go way over time. This uh, cartoon, if you can't read it, says, we don't use a sin list anymore. We just need to know if you prefer Pepsi or Coke. That's, the, that's how you get into heaven now. And so the guy's blindfolded, and he's got a blindfolded taste test. And that's, that's what they need to know. This is funny. It's silly. I, the McClanians aren't here today because their granddaughter is getting uh, baptized, which is awesome. So they're at her baptism. But this is for the McClanians, so you have to tell them we did it. I'll show them another time. The Lord is our shepherd. He is our goal. And he is our purpose giver. We lead people to God through Christ. And there's this idea sometimes that sin doesn't matter anymore. That like God doesn't care anymore. He just loves people and it's fine. This is not true. It's not true. How does a priest lead people to God? First of all, to God is the only place we lead people. We can't lead people into better feelings. It doesn't work. You can't lead people into riches. You can't lead people into even obedience. They don't do it sometimes. You can't lead people into self-help and growth. You can't lead people into the new money marketing scheme. You cannot lead people into better technology that's going to improve their life because the root things, the spiritual things, it will not fix. The only place we lead people to is God through Christ. He's it. He's the solution. And if you are a priest, your job is to lead people to God. That's why Jesus said, here's what you need to do. You're going to be my witnesses, Judea, Samaria, end of the earth. Go everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I told you. 
That's the commission. Why can he say that? Because we're priests now, every one of us in Christ. It's not just the Levites anymore in the Old Testament system. Now in the New Covenant, every one of us has been brought into priesthood with God. And so all of us have the job of, let's go straight to Christ. But you know what? It's not popular. It is not popular. Because the, mo the moment that you mention the name of Jesus, people are like, whoa, easy now. Just tell me the 10 steps. Tell me the self-help stuff. Show me the website to visit. There's, there's, there's no magic thing. It's just him. And the benefits, the righteousness, the peace, the joy, they don't come without Christ. We have to lead people to him. How do you do that? Tell them the gospel. Just tell them the gospel. This is what the Bible says. I like to start with my own testimony. Here's what God did for me. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Here's what he looks like. But if the Jesus that we tell them is all cushy, Pepsi and Coke guy, instead of the God who has fire for Nadab and Abihu, it's not the right God. We got to take them to Jesus as he is here. That's important. We lead people to God. The second thing we do, intercede. That means go to God on behalf of others. You can't save anybody. Man, it would be great if we could, wouldn't it? It would be so much easier. We can't save anybody. What it means to intercede is to stand between. This little, uh, this little thing here says, I have a diversified retirement plan. Sometimes I wish for money. Sometimes I hope for money. And sometimes I pray for money. <laughs> the goal of life is not interceding on behalf of our bills, which happens a lot, doesn't it? Man, we go to God fervently in prayer because that electric bill is not what we were expecting. Or it's about to be Christmas, and how can the church ask me for a heap offering coming up or asking for all this change, and don't they know I have Christmas coming? And we intercede to God on behalf of bills sometimes. But the priest intercedes to God, stands between people who don't know him and himself, and say, Lord, please, please use me to bridge the gap that you might save them, that you might know them. Now, we can't save anybody, like I said, but you stand between in fervent prayer, coming to them, say, Lord, remember this person. And you know what? The prayers of the righteous are effective. They are effective because God hears our prayers. That's incredible. It's purposeful when we come and intercede. It's not just, oh, Lord, I remembered this guy. He looks like he needs you. It's, it's purposeful. You know, God's put people in your life that he designed, made, created, nurtured, kept alive, gave all the ability to be your neighbor. That's purposeful because he doesn't just do things. Every word he says will not come back to him void. And so if he said, I choose Judy for this neighbor, that was purposeful. And so when Mike says, let's do the mission, step forward, go into it, it's also realizing, Lord, I see who you are. And you, oh God, have put this person to be my neighbor. That means something. That means something. That I can intercede, I can pray, not just have great cut lawn, but intercede and pray and purposefully come before the Lord that he would do something and then bring them and lead them to God as the opportunities come. You don't have to go knock on the door right now and just start shouting. Please don't do that. Just be a great neighbor and lead them as the opportunities come and look for the moment. Lord, is this an opportunity? Is, oh, it is? Yeah. I didn't tell, let me tell you about Jesus. And if it comes across weird, so be it. They're dying to know him. Yeah. It's legal. God is a king. He has a court. The angels surround and attend him. You have been brought into that court. So when we pray, understand, it's not just mailing an envelope. It's not like, you know, AOL, you've got mail, and God opens it, and he's like, oh, I didn't see this coming. It's not like that. When we pray, you're standing before him. Lord, I'm speaking to you. Do, you. do you see this person? I'm interceding now for this situation that's coming. Lord, I see that their, their relationship with their children is broken and it breaks my heart and it's not like your kingdom and I don't know what to say and I'm just groaning in me. Lord, I don't know what to do. Father, will you, will you bring restoration? Will you bring peace? Will you show them by your gospel what it means to have life again? Lord, bring those kids home for Thanksgiving that they can have this moment of restoration and when it happens, show me what to do. It's legal, and you're before the court, and God himself is making a ruling on your prayer. Yes, no, not now. The Lord doesn't say, maybe I'll think about it. Imagine that. 
Wow, that's huge. We teach. God prefers kind atheists over hateful Christians. You know, people don't know what to do. We live now in generation uh, millennials, which I am one, I guess. I'm the oldest. And uh, Gen Zers, who have more knowledge at their fingertips than any generations in history, and who have no idea how to live. No idea what to do. And guess what? Our parents didn't know either when they were teenagers. But we assume, because a lot of them can work smartphones, that they know everything. And they have no idea. Because nobody has any idea. And the idea of a discipleship, of passing on from parents to children, has largely gone away, especially when there are so many broken homes in our world. Who, who's teaching anybody anything? Think about this. Next time you're talking to the kid who's a Gen Zer, who's 15, 16, 17 years old at the Hardee's, and they're taking your order, and they don't look you in the eye, and they don't say sir or ma'am, and they're kind of rude about it, the only interaction they have day in, day out may just be Siri, may just be Alexa. You don't have to have manners with Alexa. Alexa, play my favorite music. Yes, sir. So then you stand there and you're like, what's wrong with you, kid? Maybe they don't know. And I'm using that example as just a nothing example. Now let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about finance. Let's talk about children. Let's talk about having an impact in the world. Let's talk about finishing things we start. Let's talk about being a great community member. Let's talk about holding your tongue instead of complaining. Let's talk about thinking wisely. Let's talk about not just fighting for things for the sake of fighting. Nobody knows how to do that unless we disciple them, unless we teach them. That's what priests do, is you take the law of God and you say, this applies here in every situation. And so the next time you have a kid who's a bad waiter or waitress, instead of saying, hey, let me tell you how to get a better tip next time. Think about, do they know him? Do they know how he does things? Do they know the burden that he has for loving other people? Am I tipping well? Am I thinking about them? Am I helping? And it affects both ways, doesn't it? And suddenly we're teaching people about what God really says instead of just complaining on Facebook about what our service looks like. It's important. Who God is who they are. The Bible addresses that. Who are we? We're image bearers. We're fallen. We need Jesus. We're meant to be priests. Man, could you imagine if every 15-year-old in your neighborhood knew this, of what they were destined to be? Man, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? Suddenly they wouldn't want to spend 12 hours a day on video games because they got something to do for God. But largely, I have found nobody's ever told them that. They don't know. Amazing, isn't it? How do you actually serve God? Priests teach, this is what you do. Now, if you right now are saying, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to serve God. This stuff that we're talking about is what it means. Intercede, pray, love your neighbor, work hard, trust him. Come to the Bible. Come to the elders if you don't know. Let us help you. Let us walk with you. Stand together. Get relationships in the body where you can say, you seem to be successful in this. Help me, help me understand, what does this look like? And that's how we start to grow, isn't it? That we can actually know these things. Good? Amen. Last thing we do is we distinguish. This is godly work. Uh, this is a Catholic confessional. It says, Father, I've sinned on one side. And the other side, he's looking at a screen that says Facebook. And he says, I already know, because he's seeing everything. We distinguish. Um, I have little kids, and there's things that I wouldn't let my little kids watch on television. You know, because it's not good for them. It doesn't have good attitudes. It's not a good thing. Sometimes we take this distinguishing thing too hard, and I'm not saying judge everything. The, the Lord told Aaron he should distinguish between the holy and the unholy. And I'm telling you, this is a skill that is largely lost in our culture now. Because everything is acceptable, everything's permissible, everybody can be everything, it's fine. And it's not true, and you see it on Facebook all the time. Like children, if you wouldn't let your child or a child watch this program, should you be watching it? If it's, if it's against God's nature, if it has things in it that are just not good, is it something you should go into? 
If everybody at work around the water cooler is talking about that show, and you know every detail, does that proclaim God's excellencies? Or not really? How do We need to be a people who distinguish between holy and unholy. My dad I was, was working a night job once, and he uh, walked into the little office area, and there was a young lady and a young guy who were talking together, and the gist of the conversation was the young lady was saying that she was planning on having another baby soon for the tax breaks and stuff, and that it would benefit her financially to have another kid, and then she could quit that job. And so uh, that was her plan. And so, you know, she's not married. She already had three kids by other dads, all different. And then her, this was just her plan. And so my dad walked in and heard this conversation. He walked over to her and he said, listen, um, your life is your life, and I get it, but I'm asking you, please don't do that. And she said, what do you mean? You know, I hate this job. He said, please don't have a baby for the sake of trying to change your career, your finance. Please don't do that. If you want to have a baby, get married. The Bible says we should get married, have a family, raise our children. The Lord says he loves children. They're so important to him because the Bible says we are image bearers. And she was like, what are you talking about? He's like, please don't. Just go find somebody and have a baby in the next few months because you can. And I'm telling you that example because she'd never heard that before. And sometimes we think like, oh, man, that's, that's crazy. Why would that lady think that way? She had never had somebody just say that to her, the truth like that. And so she really thought of children in a utilitarian kind of way. This is all she thought about. How do you distinguish holiness and unholy? Is this godly and what he's called us to, or is this something else? And it's important for us as priests of the Most High God to realize in a legal sense, he's on the throne, he is before us, he is bigger and more important than us, and I have a responsibility, not in judgment to try to put people down, but in a respectful way to help them understand because maybe they don't know what's holy, what's unholy. And we, send, we tend to have arguments over silly things, like the construction outside our house or, you know, our crazy neighbors are doing this with their trash cans or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real moral things. What demonstrates the excellencies of God? We get that from the word. It's not financial stuff. It's just life. What does it really look like to demonstrate God's excellencies? And how do we help people understand that? Because we need to be a people who are more concerned with God's glory than we are with our reputation. Because if you open your mouth and say something against how people live, they're not going to like you. They're not going to like you. And you will be labeled as offensive and as uh, evil and as uh, intolerant and all those kind of things to just tell the truth. But we need to tell the truth. It's important. Be respectful as we do it because God loves people. Here's what 1 Peter 2 goes on to say, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Peter wraps up this idea of being a royal priesthood to just say, live the gospel. Just live it out. Take every opportunity to tell people about Jesus and just be the Christian you have been called and designed to be. And trust the Lord that he will do all these good things and trust him more than your circumstances to say, Lord, I'm just going to walk your way and do what you call me to and I trust you. And that's what we should do. So when we talk about getting on with the mission, it's an idea of walking into being the priesthood by living every day like a priest. How do we do that exactly, just to summarize? Priests lead. Here's my little acronym for today. Priests lead. Number one, they look to the Word. The Word of God shows us what we should do. Look to the Word. If we don't have a grounding in the Word, we will not know what it means to be able to walk with Him. Then how can we tell people about Him? If we're priests who don't know the Word, then we are priests who are ill-prepared. And guess what? You're already a priest. You can't change that. The Lord's done that. So look to the word. Number two, escort people to Jesus. The idea is not just, hey, I'm telling you something from a distance. Come and take people by the hand and say, let me show you the Savior. Let me take you to him. 
That's what a priest does. The third thing we do is we always pray. Always. We always pray. It's the first thing we do. We take people uh, in prayer to the Lord. Say, Lord, have you thought of this person? Remembering who God is and how he's so big and he's so strong. And man, if God does something, it will change everything. The last thing we do is distinguish rightly. We do that in our own lives and we speak up as well. Everywhere we go, we distinguish. This is holy, this is of God, or this is not. And we start to, you know, that's how I do discipline with my kids. Uh, we talk about righteousness, peace, and joy because that's the, that's the easiest way for a child to understand it. And so they'll do something, and instead of saying, this was against my law, I'll ask them, I'll say, Jonah, when you punched your brother, it's usually Jonah, did you, when you punched your brother, was that righteousness? No. Why not? Because I disobeyed. I'm not supposed to punch. That's correct. Was that peace? No. I heard him. I should have helped him. Is that bringing joy? He's crying. No. So you're receiving a spanking now because you did not bring the kingdom. I love you. You're my good boy. Use your muscles to help people, not hurt them. You're my covenant boy, my kingdom. I tell him every time. I don't tell him, you're a bad little boy. I'm distinguishing. I'm helping him distinguish. This is good. This is bad. There are times when you've got to use your muscles to punch somebody, maybe. God forbid. But if you see somebody being hurt and you've got to defend them, I don't want him to be, oh, should I do something? I want him to be safe, you know, quick, distinguish. That's good. That's not good. Go. And this is what we called. We're called to do that, all of us, for the king, for the great lion of the tribe of Judah, because he's big, because he's strong, because he's magnanimous. He's magnificent. He's the Lord. His glory is more important than our reputation. And he's with us. Hallelujah. He will never leave us or forsake us. We're going to come to the table of the Lord right now, and then we'll finish our day. It's already 12-11. I'm sorry I'm over time. Uh, we're going to dismiss. Could, I, could we put the baskets just on the back table there? And just as we're going out, we'll put tithes and offerings. We have a heap offering coming up on the 24th, by the way, to do all the great things that God's called us to. That's what it's for. Praise the Lord. We're going to come to the table after the table will be dismissed. If you are right now thinking, this is too much for me. I am just, I don't know what to do. I want to eat this meal with you and pray for you. And I'm telling you by the Holy Spirit, you will know his power come upon you. That you have already been called to lead people to Jesus. You are a priest. If you feel like it's been a long time, maybe you've never heard this before. And you're like, I, I don't even know what to do. Let me stand with you for your own faith, for your, for your benefit, to know that the Lord is with you. And we'll come to this meal together. Let me pray, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you by his spirit, you will know that power and fire that Mike talked about. It's not because it's a benefit. It's because it's him. It's just him. I'm going to lead you just to Jesus. And then you'll know like we prayed this morning, with what the Holy Spirit is already speaking through Mike as well. Stand up. Don't be afraid of those who can harm your body. Instead, fear God who can destroy both your body and your soul. Come before him. Speak the truth in love. Go forth. Move in action. Move in passion because he and his glory is more important to us than anybody else. That's what it means to be a priest. Amen? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said that this was his body, which was broken for us, that we should do this in remembrance of him. As we come to the table, remember, he is our great high priest. Can I ask a representative of each family to please come forward? We're going to receive the elements together. Excuse me. And then we'll pray, and we'll eat them all together. And then if you would like prayer, come on up and pray. Or if not, and you need to go, please, tithes and offerings are in the back as we go out. And we're dismissed after that. We have no line on table two. <laughs> <I'm just playing. laughs>
<laughs> Jerry, you're, you're, they like you better. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you for the music. You can keep it going. Music is good. The Lord is with us. He broke his body and took the sin offering for us, the one offering of atonement, that we could have this meal of victory today. If you know Jesus Christ, eat this meal. It's for you. Let it wash over you, knowing that his body, his blood, was enough for your salvation. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying that this was the cup of the new covenant in his blood, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Let's partake of the cup. Hallelujah. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, that you sent your Son. Thank you, Lord, that he paid the penalty for us, the great high priest who offered himself on our behalf. But thank you that we can eat this meal knowing that you have made us royal priests to serve you and to be a blessing to your people. Lord, it's your glory that we seek. It's your holiness that we seek. It's your face that we seek. Lord, you are greater than anything in life. So, Lord, we come to you, Father. Fill us, God. Fill us with passion for your cause. Fill us with passion as your priests to represent you well everywhere we go. And, Lord, let this meal wash down on us, God, and remind us of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ and of the calling that you have placed on us to be your priests. Lord, to serve you, to represent you, to intercede for your people. Lord, help us to be a people who are working hard in what you've called us to. Lord Jesus, we ask you for a fruit of harvest, God, a harvest of righteousness. Lord, that we would see those people whom you've called, those people whom you are bringing to yourself, and the Lord, we would be able to rejoice with you in their salvation. Lord, use us, God, to intercede. Use us to distinguish. Use us to teach. And Lord, most importantly, use us to lead people to you. Father, I pray for any of my brothers and sisters who are feeling weak in this mission. Fill them with passion today, God, according to your word. Lord, fill them with passion knowing that you have spoken to us today by your word and by your prophet, Mike. Lord, thank you. You have called us, God. We receive you. We receive your calling. And we submit to you in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be blessed. You can break bread with one another. We're dismissed. Please remember tithes and offerings in the back. Great to be with you today. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up and I'd love to pray with you. God bless you.